What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the In Session Film Podcast. Welcome to this podcast review for November 28th, 2023, and I'm Jaded Duran. And I'm Brendan Cassidy. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody, for this review conversation. Yeah. The next few weeks, next month and a half or so, is going to be extremely exciting as award season ramps up quite mightily. All right, yeah, you call it exciting. I call it busy. <laughs> it's very busy. There are going to be a lot of movies to talk about, and I'm very excited to get into them on this episode as... You already know when you clicked on this review, we are talking about Emerald Fennell's latest film, Saltburn, which yeah. everybody loves. It is not polarizing at all, <laughs> right? We we sort of talked about this on our latest main show, right, JD? What the definition of quote-unquote mixed reviews ultimately means these days. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be a conversation we have with regard to Saltburn. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating because, and I noted this on episode 562 on the main show, mm-hmm. where we briefly talked about it, as you alluded to, and it's one of those movies where, because of its provocation, I'm assuming that it's launched people into these two extremes <laughs> where <laughs> there's been so much praise of the film yet also so much backlash that the discourse has found itself confused where there are some that are baffled, I guess, that it's getting such backlash when also its it's critical scores aren't the worst either. They're either feeling very very salty or they're feeling the burn. Exactly. It's quite insane, the discourse over Emerald uh, Fennell and her latest film, Saltburn. Mm -hmm. This premiered at Telluride, I believe, earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while it did get, I would say initially the response was extremely positive. I don't think it took long, though, for the Fennell of it all to funnel its way into those responses where some were like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about this one. (laughs) Just goes to show the journey of a promising young woman. Exactly. There you go. Very well said. (laughs) All right. Shall we get into it? Are you ready? We'll try. We'll try. Let's do this. Okay. Saltburn written and directed by Emerald Fennell. It stars, Barry Keoghan, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant, Allison Oliver, Archie Medekwe, Carrie Mulligan, and a small little appearance here. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Saltburn, 
And a student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. You notice that your plot synopsises, or at least the way you read them, have become more animated as time has gone on. Yeah, that's how we try to get it. We have to get... We have to build excitement well, into this conversation. I feel like it happens for one of two reasons sometimes. <laughs> You're either trying to emphasize excitement that doesn't exist for a movie that we're talking about like you're trying to manufacture it or you're just that giddy about the movie it's it's well, usually we'll one of the two we'll or see. in this case i mean mixed reviews could be both well i think in this instance i'm trying to build it up like a boxing promoter you know how like they're trying to hype up this huge rivalry where you have these two <laughs> opponents in the corner and they're both vicious and ready to attack. And you're trying to ramp everyone up for this fight that's about to unfold. Not necessarily between you and I, but again, no, the no. extreme reactions around this well, movie. And interestingly, I feel like that makes the title even all the more appropriate as if yeah. Emerald Fennell knew that people would either be salty or feeling the burn on this one. Now I just can't yeah. help but think of a boxing match when I hear this term salt burn. Like yeah. It sounds like the last name it of a boxer. It will be synonymous <laughs> with some sort of MMA. It's like, here's event. Rocky yeah. Saltburn. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, with all of that on the table, Brendan, are you feeling the salt or are you feeling the burn? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought up the quote-unquote middling reviews for this movie as if a movie like this can't exist in the middle. You know, I know. We have these two extremes, right? Uh -huh. So I guess I'm going to be really boring here. I think this movie sits in the middle for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right in the middle. You know, it really does. I don't know if that's boring, though, Brendan, because that seems to be the minority take here. I guess I'm the only one who thinks that way. You're right? I, don't, a... I don't hate this movie, but I don't really like it either. I know. You're on a small island there, so be careful. You're treading dangerous territories. Yeah. Uh, not even just the boxer. This sounds like the name of an island, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like off, off, off the heels of Aruba. You got Saltburn in the corner. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll be there by myself. Yeah, I think, I think this movie's fine. I think I, 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 I'm feeling the burn in aspects of it, but I'm also feeling very salty about other aspects of it. Okay. Uh, and, and I think because of that collective, I sort of come out in the middle on this one. I do think it does sit in the middle. I think it does a lot of things right aesthetically. I think the real star of this movie is honestly the cinematography by Linus Sangren. Mm -hmm. It's a gorgeously shot movie. The, if anything, the thing that really sealed the deal for me from a, from a cinematography and aesthetic standpoint, it's the ratio. Uh, I, I forget the exact numerical ratio that this is, but it's very boxed in, so it feels very claustrophobic. So the fact that you have this taking place at such a vibrant and vast, large location, not just the Saltburn Mansion itself, but even at Oxford University, everything about it actually feels kind of small. Mm. And I feel like that is ultimately the point. So the look of this movie feels very much like a character. And and I think that's where the film is at its best, is just what it's doing aesthetically and creatively. So I do have to give Emerald Fennell some credit there. Uh, I just think as a movie, you know, a lot of people have noted, for those who don't care for the movie, that it is sort of thematically hollow. Like, it's not really getting into anything new that we haven't seen before from movies that talk about climbing the social ladder, what... Uh, high society means, especially in our current day and age. And I do think those criticisms are ultimately fair. I just, 
I don't think they're as important. I just care if the movie itself is entertaining and engaging. I think it kind of is. Uh, I think it gets a little lost in its in in its trajectory a little bit. Uh, so I didn't always find find myself ultimately engaged by what was happening. I was really more engaged in the vibrancy of it. Uh, in a way, it's it, it kind of reminded me of Damien Chazelle's Babylon, but if you took away the uh, the humanity underneath, which I think is ultimately there in that movie, I and agree. I'm just looking yeah. and I'm just looking at the landscape of it all, and I'm only entertained by that, uh, which in some ways still deserves a lot of praise because mm-hmm. there is something very creative about the way this film is shot, the way the camera moves, and some of the bold choices that M. Fennell makes from a visual standpoint. There are images here I won't forget, for better and for worse. Like it's 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 definitely bold in a way that's kind of cheap, but I kind of appreciated that at the same time because it seems very self-aware in that. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I, I find myself in the middle. I'm it's it's a bit of a tug of war for me, but I I I weirdly respect it more than Promising Young Woman, if that makes sense. But I do think it's a lesser movie by comparison. Okay. Yeah, I think some of the irony of what you're saying is that when it came to promising young woman, and that was another film that was quite polarized. I -hmm. came down in the middle on that film. I admired its boldness and audacity, but overall found it contrived and lacking self-awareness. And Mm -hmm. I feel pretty similarly about Saltburn, but I do think it is significantly better primarily because of, Fennell's ambitious and gripping filmmaking. There isn't an ounce of subtlety here as she attempts to critique entitled aristocrats, which is ironic given her background, but there's no denying her extremely self-assured confidence. She isn't afraid to be provocative. She's completely fearless. And maybe there's something smug about how it's executed in the film, but her unblinking direction does make it at the very least, rigorously crafted. The production design here, you noted Linus Sankran's remarkable cinematography. The -hmm. extreme close-ups are especially invigorating. The outfits and costuming say what you will about the film, but its visual seductiveness I do think is off the charts. The question for me, just like it was for Promising Young Woman, boils down to how manufactured you find it to be. Does this mm-hmm. film come off as desperate, sometimes confused, and at times overly self-satisfied? Yes, I absolutely think it does, especially mm-hmm. in those final 20 minutes or so. In yeah. fact, I think it was perfectly summed up by friend of the show, Cody Derricks, who on Twitter said, quote, Saltburn wants to be iconoclastic and shocking, and at times it is. But it ultimately feels like a cautionary tale rich people would tell their kids to warn them against reaching out to and interacting with those beneath them. Another misjudged takedown from Fennell. And I do very much agree with Cody there. As a dramatic and thematic exercise, it leaves a lot to be desired. But as an aesthetic and performative one, I think it's quite engrossing. So like you, I'm very torn on it it really is hypnotizing visually and Barry Keoghan chews through scenery like it's nobody's business I do mm-hmm. think he's incredible here the whole cast is really great Rosamund Pike and Allison Oliver are also standouts for me 
I do like it more than Promising Young Woman, as I noted, okay. but like Brendan, weirdly, <laughs> we're on this singular island, the two of us and a handful of others that we've seen on Twitter, but I'm I'm yeah. very mixed on it. I'm right down the middle here. Yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll enjoy our own pina coladas on our lonely island. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have a friend like you joining me on this. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but yeah, I, I I agree with you, man. I really do. Uh, uh, there is a lot to admire here because you're right. Emerald Fennell and what she's doing is very confident. Is it necessarily good? That's debatable. But sometimes we have to respect a filmmaker for sticking to their ambitious ambitions regardless of how people are going to react. Yes. Uh, and I could tell someone like Emerald Fennell, and obviously I haven't listened to her talk about this film all that much, and I haven't spoken to her myself either, but I can, I can only assume that she probably would adopt like a, a similar Ridley Scott-like energy and just give a middle finger to those who don't really care for this. Probably. Uh, yeah. and, and again, that is pretty ironic given her upbringing, that you know, a lot of her upbringing is sort of in relation to what this movie is not only depicting but also criticizing. And there are aspects here that I think it does criticize it fairly effectively. And a lot of it happens when there's no dialogue to carry the plot or explain things for us. And while some of these things aren't subtle, like you said, I admittedly laughed when we saw these individuals of quote-unquote high society who like to see themselves as you know, artistic spirits, right? They value culture. They value art. But they also love super bad. You know, like... like, like, like sure. It's that. They yeah. read Harry Potter. You know, um, what, they're watching The Ring. You know, the mm-hmm. horror movie The Ring. That's their example of what they find enjoyment in outside of just excess alcohol, yeah. right? Sure. So I, I think the way the film plays with that, that irony and those contradictions is really interesting. It just feels as though the way the plot moves and the way characters talk to each other, I sometimes wonder if Emerald Fennell has faith in the audience to be able to get that going in. Uh, It's another one of those examples I think this movie could have actually been more effective as almost a silent film because there's so Mm -hmm. much going on visually that is able to convey those things. Between this and Promising Young Woman, I think Emerald Fennell is actually a better director than she is a writer. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think she's actually got a knack for visual storytelling, which is not an easy thing to do. And sometimes that can be all you need to carry things forward. And there is enough here going on visually and performatively mm-hmm. to cue us in on that, that less wording could have probably done the film more favors, honestly. So it, it, mm-hmm. it, it does seem as though Emerald Fennell has confidence, but maybe not the right kind of confidence at the same time to trust us as audiences to get the joke, right? And sometimes she makes it too easy for us. Yeah, I think you're tapping into something that I find really interesting. And honestly, it tethers to why I overall felt pretty disappointed with the film. Okay. With those ironies that you're talking about. Because I think the setup here is actually quite great. The The first third is really good. It is really good. The scenes of Oliver and Felix at Oxford Mm -hmm. especially do a great job of establishing not only how distinctive their personalities are, but how their relationship is an opposites attract kind of friendship. Felix, mm-hmm. you know, is everything Oliver admires and aspires to be, especially from a social yeah. perspective. He has all the girls, a ton of friends. He's popular. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Oliver represents a grounded normalcy that is rare in Felix's world. And I think yep. Fennell mostly gets that dynamic right. There's an earnestness to their meet cute, so to speak. 
when yeah. Oliver loans yeah. him his bicycle and you see true elation there from Felix or that moment in the bar when Felix sees that Oliver can't pay for the drink. So he, yeah. through a genuine gesture of kindness, helps yeah. pay for them, but like makes that. it look as if Oliver paid for the drinks. Mm-hmm. Or maybe mm-hmm. most notably after Oliver tells Felix that his father had died, Felix extends an invitation to Saltburn out of sincere compassion. Yeah. Of course, what happens from there is without question debatable, but yeah, I think yeah. those early scenes in a vacuum, removing how they are recontextualized later, are very good in establishing identity, heartfelt friendship, and how those two characters, despite their vivid differences, have become reliant on each other. And mm-hmm. to your point regarding the irony of this upper class family and how unrelatable, how unattainable they are to most of us. Mm-hmm. The film through its setup also ground them in a way that does make them relatable, such as Harry Potter and the movies that you mentioned yeah. there. To me, the problem lies in the fallout and the ramifications of what we see in the back half of the film, and especially yeah, its okay. overreaching conclusion that spoon feeds <laughs> mundane contrivances and exacerbates all of the film's major flaws. That's where this film uh-huh. really gets out of hand and why ultimately I was so disappointed because the first half of it had so much promise. to it. I, I love the scenes at Oxford University. And again, a lot of it was because of that boxed in ratio. I'm actually looking this up. It was shot in 1.33 one aspect ratio. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. where that sort of like, like uh, almost square, like uh, uh, claustrophobia comes from. So it honestly mm-hmm. makes, it makes Oxford University look like, like a community college or something like that. Uh, and, and I don't know if that was Emerald Fennell's intent, but th- the weird smallness of it just adds this level of claustrophobia that I think the film needs and weirdly adds an intimacy to those scenes between uh, Oliver and Felix that are genuine, as you say. Yeah. Uh, and you do bring up a really great point, and I did want to ask you about this. I was going to save it for later in the conversation, but since we're already kind of there, I'm just going to jump the gun and ask. But around the film's third act, really like the final maybe 25 to 30 minutes when, for lack of a better term, shit starts to hit the fan. And this being an Emerald Fennell film, if you've seen Promising Young Woman, you know things are going to get a little dicey, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil what happens, uh, but clearly she likes her tales of vengeance. <laughs> I'll simply say that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the final five minutes coming at all? Yes. Okay. Do you think you're supposed to see it coming? I don't think the film... I don't think the film thinks that you're <laughs> keeping up with the film. I think See, it, that's, I think it is yeah. blinded to its lack of subtlety. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. That makes the film all the more ironic. Like somehow Emerald Fennell found herself succumbing to exactly what she was criticizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, again, like that makes it kind of a fascinating failure in many ways. Uh, I'm with you. The final reveal that we get is... It's not only not subtle, it's highly predictable. To the point that I thought, oh, is this supposed to be a surprise? <laughs> like, I, I, this, 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 yep. like, I thought we already knew this 
Wait, yeah. does the movie think we don't know this? Like, I honestly didn't know. Yeah, I was that's, genuinely. That's, that's why I wanted to ask to see if you had a, a different experience than I did. Well, honestly, that is a great setup. Speaking of setups, oh, Brendan you're welcome. lofted me a nice little softball here because I did <laughs> want to talk about the fallout of this film. Okay. And it's back half and why I don't think it works all that well. At its core, let me start here. At its core, this film is about this duality of identity and reinvention. Of course, much of it is funneled through the lens of class and crude psychopathology. But on its own terms, that's a conflict that is genuinely very compelling. The problem is that the film has no sense of awareness in its storytelling, especially when there's a major contrast between its absurdity and Fennell's sincere opulence. The moment that Oliver goes into that bathtub, and if you've seen the film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment he goes into that bathtub and brazenly consumes Felix's, let's say, bodily fluids, (laughs) there's no longer any ambiguity to him. His facade of sheepish timidness instantly disappears, and we immediately get a sense that he's clearly hiding Mm -hmm. something or at the very least there's more to Oliver than what he was leading on. Something that becomes even more obvious when he has sex with Felix's sister. And as if that's not enough, his rivalry with the Farley character climaxes, maybe Mm -hmm. pun intended with an act that's highly dubious, not to mention the reveal near the third act Uh, as it relates to Oliver's parents, something that the film presents as this massive gotcha moment, but given everything that preceded it, it's not shocking in any way whatsoever, which is why that ending sequence is so frustratingly arrogant because, again, the film thinks it's doing something clever by recontextualizing Mm. the whole movie and something we've already come to understand about Oliver. It's not the sleight of hand Mm -hmm. it thinks it is. Fennell is trying to have her cake and eat it too by rendering the film as this wacky fever dream that's rooted in eating the rich and being a sly mystery where we're uncertain as to what's really happening at Saltburn with this family. And it's not even that she lacks the prowess as a filmmaker to pull that off as much as she backed herself into a corner by structuring the film the way she does. She plays her cards too early and too obviously. We didn't need to get to that ending sequence before we knew who the culprit was. It was a matter of telling us how he did it. And that's the thing. Yes, it's disjointed and presumptuous. Its provocation is orchestrated and arguably childish. But more than that, it's the lack of self-awareness what Fennell mm-hmm. presents is so yeah. absurd that if channeled as a comedy I do think it could have still been effective but she yeah. doesn't do that instead she aims for grandiosity and an emotional revelation that's almost laughable which circles back to that duality of identity and reinvention an idea that applies to Oliver yes but in a meta way to Fennell as well. I think she was trying not to regurgitate the same formula as Promising Young Woman, and by replacing comedy with opulence and faux emotion, a.k.a. trying to reinvent herself slightly, if you will, 
Mm-hmm. I think she became her own worst enemy here. It's it's there's it a lot of it's a lot of irony there, and I think if there's any lesson to take from this movie, and not necessarily a lesson that the film is teaching thematically speaking, it's what filmmakers, future filmmakers, can take from this movie. Don't overexploit a great actor, and I think that's more or less what happens here with regard to Barry Keoghan. Uh, he is a magnetic presence in pretty much every film he has been in. And he, he's kind of a daunting presence, honestly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you go back to something like The Killing of a Sacred Deer, a film I don't necessarily care for, but I think he is frightening in that movie. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, not, he's not only a versatile actor, he's he, he's he's kind of a creepy dude sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I feel like what happens here is his talents are so heavily exploited that it completely undermines the narrative and thematic trajectory of the film. Like, so much of what he does that takes away that ambiguity like you're talking about, all that should have been saved for a finale montage in order to add to that recontextualization that I think the film is ultimately going for. I'm kind of with you. In the moment and the more I think about it, it does feel like that final reveal is meant to be a rug pull. Like, it is meant to surprise us and add... Mm -hmm. And not necessarily thematic nuance or any type of like emotional shift or anything like that. If anything, it's it, it's it's shock it's shock value, right? It's meant to be yeah. shocking. It's meant to be kind of repulsive. That's what it's going for. I don't think yeah. she anticipates you to not just keep up, but be ahead of her and her storytelling, which is yeah. how it plays out. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. she's not aware of that. Again, the lack of self-awareness here yeah and if anything it sounds like maybe we're in similar camps as far as what we tend to find quote-unquote repulsive in movies like this while i do applaud someone like barry keoghan for uh, dancing around at the end of the movie in the way that he does that's not necessarily the thing that repulses me it's the Mm. why of it all and the why of it all here feels very undercooked absolutely undercooked because it plays those cards way too soon having such a great actor do those weird things leading up to it that there's no that there it, it, it in many ways it feels like the movie ends at the midpoint because like, yeah. there, there's nowhere to go after that when we kind of know the essence of this character well it's not just that it's undercooked although i very much do agree with you mm-hmm. i think there's a level of I don't know how to say it in a way that's kind. I think it is mm. a little, I guess myopic is the kind mm. way to okay. phrase it. Okay, sure. I yeah. think arguably her biggest flaw, the film clearly is trying to be some sort of critique on toxic elitism. Yeah. But how on earth does she not see the problem of writing Oliver the way she does? Mm-hmm. She very, very, again, I'll use the word myopic, myopically whiffs by funneling that character through the lens of the lower middle class. As mm-hmm. Cody mentioned in his tweet, as I noted in my opening thoughts, it really does come off like a cautionary tale that the lower class are diabolical vampires who will destroy your divinity and status. It's incredibly irreverent. But compounding on Fennell's presumptuousness is the fact that our commentary here is vapid and hollow. She clearly mm-hmm. wants to provoke, as you're talking about, Brennan. She wants to shock, 
which in, it, uh, in itself is manufactured, and it's all the more frustrating when her thematic insight here doesn't go beyond the very simple, insipid notion that rich people might be bad. Yeah. And not only that, but again, the lower class are vampires who are after your divinity. It well, is baffling. Yeah. It's inadvertent. I don't think that is her intent. I, I, I was just going to say. Yeah. of her lack of self-awareness here, that is very much how it comes off. Yeah. And I don't think that she was, I don't think she saw that coming. And it speaks to, again, why I feel I'm so polarized on these two films and her as a filmmaker. And there's no denying her confidence, as I noted earlier. I mm. could simply watch Saltburn into a degree promising young woman as an aesthetic exercise mm. without paying attention to any of the storytelling or the characters <laughs> or the themes. And I think there's plenty to enjoy it's there. Not much of a ringing endorsement there, right? <laughs> no, but as stories, I think they're extremely flawed. And I think a lot of it circles back to how disjointed the storytelling is, how contrived and manufactured a lot of it is. It's one thing to present this character as perhaps, you know, some iteration of Norman Bates and Tom Ripley and Patrick Bateman combined, mm -hmm. which is a little bit of what Barry Keoghan is doing here in a great yeah. way. I think he, he's not the problem on this film. I love no. his performance. Here. He, he's effective. Yeah. However, because of the lack of self-awareness, the fact that she's trying to shock us, despite the fact that we've already reached the conclusion before the conclusion even gets there, the way the film recontextualizes something that we already know to be true. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think that lack of self-awareness takes this inadvertent flaw around Oliver. And I think it heightens it to a degree that is at least for some people pretty offensive. And I, yeah. I understand why they feel that way. I do too. And you're right that, it, or at least I think you're right that it is, by accident. I don't think that is the message that Emerald Fennell wanted to convey here. If anything, if I were to try and give her at least some credit in what I think she's trying to do, and I think what she is trying to do does have some merit, is the idea of being obsessed with the upper class, that you want to partake in it. In many ways, that's why I think the opening scenes at Oxford University are so effective, because it mirrors... You know, the obsessiveness that some people have for, let's say, school cliques, right? The popular kids. I want to fit in with the cool kids. Kind of the, mm -hmm. to put it very high level, or superficially rather, that's sort of what's going on in the opening third. And if you want to try and emphasize Oliver as having this obsessive quality that develops because of that, that is potentially interesting but the narrative trajectory doesn't allow that to be the theme. Like That gets completely lost then. Uh, so it, in, in many ways, it almost feels like a film that's weirdly out of order, <laughs> if, if anything. Well, the structure of this film, I do think, is a little strange in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's not even the pacing. The pacing is not really the problem. It's not it, it, it moves by fairly well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the order of events. It's the sequencing of yeah. it all. I mean, she that, tells us how this is going to end in the opening. 
what, five minutes of the movie. It kind of does, yeah. And and if that wasn't enough to justify it, there's at least one midpoint reveal that you did allude to, which admittedly I actually did not see coming. Like that one midpoint reveal involving Oliver's family, I was like, oh, okay, so that's what's happening. But then it's like, oh, wait, that fully justifies his, well, now I know where this movie's going to go. Now it doesn't even matter. Uh, so if there's anything to mm-hmm. fully like like dot that I or cross that T for you, it's halfway into the movie, and by that point, you realize there's really nowhere for it to go other than visually shocking you. And sure, it does yeah. that, but that's that's not enough for me. Well, I think that's also part of the problem here with Fennell mm. is that, yes, there's a lack of self-awareness in terms of the storytelling around its central character of Oliver, but also yeah. this film functions as like four different movies. The opening, I do think, is really great. <laughs> but once we get to the bathtub scene, it becomes a very different movie at that point. As you're talking yeah. about, dramatically speaking, it's this story about friendship and envy. Then it's a mm-hmm. psychoerotic thriller. Then it becomes a murder mystery. It's an allegory on top of that, or at least trying to be. I think it fails miserably in that regard. But mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. is, it's four different movies at one time. And totally, it's all over the place as a result. And I don't think she handles that with any diligence whatsoever. And then on top of that, circling back to why I feel like this film might come off a little offensive, Mm -hmm. I think part of it is the crude psychopathology around Oliver. I think really that might be the biggest issue here is because you're taking a character that is cut from a very different cloth than this family of Saltburn. And mm-hmm. you're portraying him as not normal. He's mm-hmm. a Norman Bates. He's a Patrick yeah. Bateman. He's someone that is after you because of that. He's a joker, if you will. Yeah, He's coming he to suck off your wealth and your divinity And that's why it does, to Cody's tweet once again, it comes off like an allegory that's more of a cautionary tale to rich families. Don't let these lower class into your house because they're jokers and they're after your money. Like that's how it feels because of the tonal mess that's the movie. You're you're right. And if if that is what Emerald Fennell wanted to portray, like I said, this obsessive quality that sometimes the lower middle class has to join upper society then don't make the critique about upper society because like that's like like if 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 that part's disregarded then maybe there's an effective movie here Mm. Uh, but 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 it seems as though the film's intent is not that so then we find ourselves distracted by something that comes off as offensive like yes if it was flipped if it was the other side of that coin and we find out that oliver instead of being this nerdy, shy kid, which is how he presents himself in the opening mm-hmm. of the film, mm-hmm. to the contrast of Felix, as we talked about earlier, if instead he's actually incredibly smart and astute and he's playing mm-hmm. this family like a fiddle and he's all there mentally, he's just incredibly bright and he's taking advantage of the presumptuous and naivete and the ego of elitism and yeah. the, you know, the, this family that lives at Saltburn, they become a mockery as a result of his they're, they're ignorant intelligent that. Yeah. finessing. Then yeah. 
her point has validity. Then it has. Not only credence. that, then then you've got an opportunity to have your cake and eat it too, which we talk about a lot on movies like yeah. this, right? Uh, because that again, I I I feel like we need to be a bit careful with how we say that because then it inadvertently comes off like we're saying this is a movie we would have preferred to see as if that's what it should have been, and mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in Emerald Fennell's mouth to say that this is what she should have done. Clearly, she made the movie that she wanted to make, and this is what we got, and I'm glad for mm-hmm. her for that. Um, but if she was going for any type of nuance in that regard, you laid out an example there that would have got, would have given us yeah. that. Yeah, I right? because be, yeah, because yeah, then and, we've got the elitism of it, and then we've got the uh, yes. the false elitism of it, and both yeah. become victims and culprits simultaneously. I agree, and I present that structure, that scenario, not to say, "Hey, this is how I would have made the movie," because you're right. right I don't want to put words in her mouth. However, mm-hmm. I do think by constructing the film through that prism it makes sense of why people feel offended by the way she does it here. Right. Right. And I understand why they feel that way. Yeah. Where if it was this other way that I, that I talking, I, I think what she's going for, what I do think she's actually going for, it would have rang much louder and mm-hmm. much less polarizing if, if that was her approach. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it's the lack of self-awareness or if it's just a brazen attempt at provocation. Maybe it's not a lack of self-awareness. Maybe she knows exactly what she's doing and she just wants to provoke. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then I don't know if I <laughs> admire that or respect <laughs> that or find that even more infuriating. I don't know. I, I, I mean, again, it, it's it's both salty and i feel the burn with that too so <laughs> um i like yeah. if, if that is the case it weirdly does make me like the film less uh, which is interesting because i've defended movies in the past for doing that but it's hard to overlook what i think isn't is is at least an attempt here at something grander and more meaningful uh, yeah. and and because i can't overlook that it makes the mere idea of provocative for provocative sake all the more troubling for me well and i think the reason that being provocative for provocative sake in this instance feels hollow is because there's no thematic substance here and to your point earlier i'm okay with that if it's executed in a way that makes sense Mm -hmm. and here i don't think provoking for the sake of it is effective because what is she really saying about elitism here I think she's trying to present it and then undermine it, and that's what's supposed to be satisfying about the movie. But for all the reasons we're talking about, it comes off the antithesis of that. It's more offensive in a lot of ways. So what is there to provoke? Like, What is she doing to comment on elitism here? Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I I don't know if she's really saying anything other than we're presenting... Saltburn for an aesthetic appeal for Oliver to do some interesting things that keep us engaged, such as the yeah. bathtub scene. And that completely reflips what this film is going to be, right? All of a mm-hmm. sudden, it's grounded realism becomes something else entirely. Yeah. It becomes this psychoerotic thriller at that point. Yep. And there's this psychological warfare at play. With yeah. his sister, what's she after? Is she does she genuinely feel something for Oliver? 
Is it just this war of uh, attention because yeah. it's Felix's friend? I mm-hmm. need some of that. I'm going to take some of that away. Same thing with Farley. He feels as if Oliver is some sort of combatant. He's going to take my spot here at Saltburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But does the film really do anything interesting with those yeah. characters yeah. and that psychological warfare? I don't know other than, again, to present some scenes that on the surface, it's about that warfare and that tug of war, that back and forth, which admittedly might have some dramatic appeal in the moment. Sure. Because these actors are really great at tapping into that, you know, such as the karaoke moment, for example. I thought in the moment it was interesting. It's a pretty effective scene. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I mean, and even some of the stuff with... uh, I need to look up her name because I keep forgetting her name here. Uh, Veneta. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like some of those scenes. There's mm-hmm. one extremely potent one at the end that, again, on the surface taps into that psychological warfare in this really robust, almost poignant way. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it's all fully realized in the end because I don't yeah. know what she's trying to do here, especially when we're 10 steps ahead of her the entire time, but she isn't aware of that. I can't help but laugh because we came into this review saying, yeah, we're kind of mixed on it. It's both good and both bad. And we haven't really said much good about them. Well, okay. So (laughs) I guess where I am a little mixed here, because I do feel like I lean into those frustrations a little bit more. And I think Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways I do lean quite negative on the film. However, I do love these performances and this is where I'm certainly willing to separate, I guess, the two, what I like and what I don't like. Not that anyone else can't, but the reason I can't just come out here and say this is the worst film of the year, you know, and and really has artistic merit. Yes, and that's the thing. And I'm not willing to ignore that. I've seen some extremely negative reviews, whether it be on you know, certain websites or even on Letterboxd that, you know, where I agree with the film or with the review's politics or with how it feels about these characters, the structure of the film, the tonal mess of it all, Mm -hmm. and that lack of self-awareness. But they also are willing to ignore the film's aesthetic prowess. Yeah. And look, that's fine. A lot of this is subjective and people might find the aesthetics of this film to be equally hollow. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen some people point out that this film is shot like it's, you know, like it's presented like, you know, like they want people to screen cap this and just throw it on Twitter and say, Hey, look at how cool this movie is, Mm -hmm. you know, to Mm -hmm. suggest that there is a facade, that there's a hollow quality to the film's aesthetics. Yeah. I can't quite go that far. I do think there is uh, an aesthetic appeal here that is great. I do love the cinematography. Yeah, uh, I do really like these performances. Uh, so there, there is a level of craft here that I'm just not willing to ignore. And on some level, whether you know it's to her benefit or detriment, it's mostly the latter. But yeah. I still do appreciate Fennell's ambitiousness and yeah. the the filmmaking here. Uh, I do like. I don't like how it's mm. presented in terms of a a story in these characters, but 
the craft of it, I'm not willing to ignore. I yeah. do think it's good. I will go to bat for it. And, and I'm with you on the performances, which we really only spent time talking about Barry Keoghan. And I, I'm trying to say this carefully as if to not knock his performance because I don't think it's a performance issue. But of the entire cast, I think he might be the weakest one for me, uh, even though I do think he's still good. But again, it goes back to what we talked about, how his performance is essentially overexploited that it plays those trump cards way too early. So it's less so on him and more so Emerald Fennell choosing Are you to talking about Kyogen? Kyogen, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think Barry Kyogen is overall very good, but the utilization of his performance is a bit misguided. I don't love the writing. Sense. I don't love the yeah, writing. Yeah, it's it's the writing, it's the, it's it's when his talents are chosen to be showcased to us, right? Yeah. I That's think he's really doing his damnedest to play into that provocation, right? I mean, you, yeah. we everyone will talk about the bathtub scene and maybe for good reason. He's committed to the moment, right? Yeah. Equally so, and this is less talked about because it involves massive spoilers, but there's a moment that takes place in the rain on the ground near the third act that which I feel is, like that one scene is emblematic of how we feel about the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, say what you will and how it works here. I don't think it's effective. I don't, but I'm I do you. admire Kyogen just really going for well, it. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm trying to be careful when I say I think he's the quote unquote weakest performance here, because it's not really the performance, it's the utilization of the yeah. performance within the narrative. So maybe it's not, maybe a better way to say it is that I think his performance is the least effective in the film because of those And maybe that's what it is. Yeah, because I think yeah. as a performer, I think he's really great. I think he's magnetic yeah. and I can't turn away from what he's doing. Yeah. To me, the problem, to your point, is it's what he's being told to do. Yeah. What if, he's being asked of here. Yeah. If anything, I think the strongest performance here, not just in performance, but also in the utilization of that performance, it's probably Jacob Elordi. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think good. if anything, if there is any dramatic subtext here, anything we're meant to latch on to, it's the good-hearted nature of Felix, right? Uh, I, yeah. I, I think there is something genuine about him and the fact that he does actually emulate this sort of disconnect from his familial upbringing and the richness that they have had all these years. And uh, he, he kind of lives within it, but tries to disassociate from it at the same time as if he is his own man. So mm -hmm. there actually is some context there that I found, I don't want to say interesting, but I was at least engaged by that. Yeah. Uh, so I think in both utilization and performance on its own terms, I think Jacob Elordi is probably the most effective uh, I mean, all the performances, none of them are bad. It's just I think he's the most effective as far as how Emerald Fennell chooses to showcase that performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Elordi is very good, and he does maybe give the most important performance here because yeah. without him giving credence to that character, especially as it relates to Oliver and that friendship and that contrast we talked about earlier, if mm -hmm. you don't buy that, this film becomes problematic very quickly. I agree. I agree. But I think he sells it. Like, he does a great yeah. job of, I guess, giving Felix a little, like, a humble quality in some ways. Like, he's yeah. drawn to Oliver, like, this sense of normalcy. It's different from my family. And mm -hmm. I like that. 
and he gives them a, a compassion, a humanism that is absolutely necessary. Even when they get to Saltburn, I think he maintains that in a way that yeah. grounds this film when Oliver quickly becomes the Joker of this movie uh, in many respects. <laughs> Uh, and I think he's very good at that. The other performance I love yeah. here is Rosamund Pike. She might give my favorite performance of this film. You know, yeah. She's I've hilarious. heard a lot of people say that, and she is really good here. She's, yeah, she's sneakily funny here. Uh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Absolutely hysterical at times. There's a naivete to her character that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Again, to me, that's where she was aware of what this film was was really needing to be as a commentary on elitism where so much of the mm-hmm. film fails to support that idea. Rosamund Pike read the script and goes, Oh, I know how to do this. <laughs> and she knows how to give it. She's like, this. I played amazing Amy before I can do that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she gives this character a, a grounded sensibility. She is funny, but she's naive, like in, in a way that's a little, like a little bit of a mockery. Yeah. That is necessary, especially given Oliver and, and his scheming that is going on here. And I think mm-hmm. as a result, she's really the only character that if there is any shock value that has any credence whatsoever, it is with her character. Now, I don't I was never surprised by anything that ha- unfolds in the last 20 minutes, but um, if, I wasn't either. But was if there either. is something to. Uh, I guess be surprised by it. It's it's because of her performance and how good she is, yeah. and and the credibility that she gives to her character. If anything, I would have loved to see a little bit more from Richard E. Grant. Uh, he's yeah. he, he 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 has a presence here, but I mean we know him to be a very effective performer. He has been a great actor for decades. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was about to yeah. say years, decades. He has been he's a legend at this point. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to see more from him. He feels very under underutilized. He's he's underutilized, and again, I, and I love Richard E. Grant, but he's more yeah. in the Elordi camp, or um, even what we see with Allison Oliver, in the sense that mm-hmm. the farcical nature that is maybe meant to to be part of the commentary here, like th- those those performers don't quite reach those heights but again i think it's because they're not asked to i feel like there are only two characters here it's it's rosamund pike and carrie mulligan's performance they feel like like those characters are from a completely different movie they do they do um i did not know carrie mulligan was in this movie before watching it I saw her name pop up in the credits, and given her history with Emerald Fennell, uh, uh, with Promising Young Woman especially, I'm surprised I didn't give her the coveted and Carrie Mulligan in the opening credits. Her name just randomly appears yeah. at the at back, the and end. it's like, oh, okay. So I yeah. guess they're treating her like she's a nobody, which is actually kind of interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Because in a way, her character kind of is a nobody, is a nobody. that is like yeah. partaking in the somebodies of the world. You know, it's... I, 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 did the opening credits actually play a part in the joke? Because if it does, that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, well, and, uh, so and I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. And again, that's what I love about Rosamund Pike here, right? Because there comes a moment once Pam- Pamela leaves the movie. Carrie Mulli- mm-hmm. Mulligan is only in the film in like two scenes. Yeah. And then disappears. But there's a reveal to Pamela later on. And <laughs> the, the reaction there from lady elspeth is hysterical like it's very funny like it's 
It's yeah. comical in a way that's almost farcical and it doesn't at all tether to the film tonally regarding how it's transitioned into this, you know, psychological erotic thriller. Yeah. Like though it's just contrasting tones everywhere, but it that's is. what I love about Pike's performance though, is it seems as if she's always aware of what the commentary is supposed to be mm-hmm. where everything else doesn't. And I just, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. You're definitely right. That Rosamund Pike is, if anything, I feel like she under understood the assignment more than Emerald Fennell did. Yeah. Like yes. She, she should maybe, have directed maybe, this. Maybe she should, maybe she, yeah, she should have wrote and directed this instead. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. All right. Do you have any final thoughts on Saltbar? I do want to emphasize once again that even though it sounded like we were more negative on this film than anything else, I, I am still split in the middle uh, because like you, I still at least admire some of its aesthetic choices, some of the vibrancy of it all, not just the cinematography, but uh, the set decoration, the art decoration, the music, uh, not just the needle drop. The needle drops are hit or miss. Sometimes they're very obvious. Sometimes they're very clever Mm -hmm. Uh, but the music by anthony willis i think is the composer here i think is also pretty effective as well so there's a lot going on as far as what this movie does to create a vibe that i was potentially on board with again if this could have been more functioning as a silent film i think there's a lot to appreciate here uh, to let the audience more so do the work and have faith in the audience which i just don't feel like emerald Fennell has so it becomes a mixed bag ultimately. I, 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 I can't say I'm feeling burned for this one, but I'm not too salty about it either. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that's very fair. As far as some final thoughts for me. So I mentioned earlier the Farley character played by Archie Medekwe. Yeah. And I do think he's good at playing up the rivalry with yeah. Oliver. Mm-hmm. The film, though at one point brings up the idea that he's the only black character in this world, except mm-hmm. for a couple of servants at Saltburn. Yeah. The film takes its time or at least at the very least, it takes a moment to bring this up. Why? Oh yeah. It, it pauses Why? to let us, to let us notice that. I want to know what the point of that is because it just <laughs> abandons that idea. Like it just brings it up as to say, wait, Wait for it. Something is about to unfold later, and then nothing. I mean, and it's not so—it's not so much a thematic uh, uh, mistake, if any, because I feel like if that's all it was, I can sit back and think, okay, what is she trying to say there? But it's also built up like it's a narrative turning point, right? Yeah. Like it's meant to build some kind of conflict, and that's yes. where it becomes really problematic because I feel like it's setting itself up for something that then never happens. I agree, which is why something like the karaoke moment works great. Because yeah. it plays up this rivalry, albeit in an intimate, surprisingly raw way. But mm. there's at least a payoff to that, right? When Oliver yeah. goes into his room at night, as I noted earlier, the film climaxes with those two characters, if you will. Yeah. yeah the so there's at least a payoff to that rivalry in some ways. One that does continue on, like it trickles even further, though into the final act once everything starts to unravel. Right. However, bringing up the idea that he's the only black character here, albeit interesting, it doesn't do anything with it. So it just feels like it's another one of those undercooked ideas. It's a missed opportunity. That becomes a missed opportunity for sure. Yeah. 
I do want to reiterate Allison Oliver as well as Felix's sister here. She's mm-hmm. also maybe a little underutilized, but I do love how she emulates seductiveness and mystery early on. And then mm-hmm. in the third act, when things start to unravel, there's a genuine heartbreak to that character that I think is really felt. Mm-hmm. Even if tonally, it's still strange in the context of what is happening around her. But mm-hmm. that's how that character should react, especially given how it crystallizes, how that character crystallizes. I mm-hmm. think that heartbreak is absolutely necessary. Yeah. So the performers here, I mostly really like. Again, the craft of this film, I have no problem with. It's mostly mm-hmm. how Fennell utilizes the craft within the context of this story that I just think is extremely misguided um, yeah. and, and just lacking self-awareness. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how she missed that whole thing with Oliver and where he comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like, it was really just built for this massive reveal that happens, I guess, right before we turn to the third act. But as it relates to its critique on toxic elitism, I just, I, I feel like it's a huge, huge flaw here. Mm-hmm. And, the film thinks it's more clever than it actually is. Yeah. I will say though, even despite my mixed feelings on this one and really my mixed feelings on promising young woman as well, I'm weirdly still interested to see what Emerald Fennell is going to do next. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't expect I'll love it given her track record <laughs> thus far, but yeah. I mean, I'm never bored by her movies. It's so interesting. If there's Look, anything to praise her for, it's that I agree. It's, it's fascinating one way or another. Yeah. And and in a lot of ways it and it's ironic because I noted earlier that I do like this better than Promising Young Woman. And I right. think I do. Okay. I, I really do, even though I feel like in many respects I I lean so negatively here. But I do love the craft. I do love the performances. And again, there is just mm-hmm. something alluring about all of the film's misfires here that it's like, it's like watching a train go by and it's completely on fire. So, and I just can't so, help so but look this, at it. <laughs> this is that perfect definition of what we call a fascinating failure. Yes. Absolutely. Because I, I think this movie fails way more often than promising young woman. Yes. Does. But are those failures more interesting? Yeah, Maybe. Arguably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And that's, Exactly where I lean on this film. So certainly okay. some irony there, but that's kind of where where I'm yeah, at. That's fair. That's fair. So with all of that said, I say with trepidation, let us know where you stand <laughs> on Saltburn. It's a fork in the road. Are you salty or burny? Yeah. A lot of people love this movie and all the power to you. A lot of people are even more negative on it than we have been here Mm-hmm. So let us know if you agree or disagree with anything we had to say. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us in sessionfilm at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. Let us know what you think of the movie. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and mm-hmm. anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, am I forgetting anything, Brennan? I think that's it. I think that covers everything that represents in session film for the podcast right now. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts on anything before we get out of here? Did you know that Rosamund Pike lived at the house where this filming took place? No, but 
That makes sense, I guess. It does. I, I, I because would believe that. Yeah. I, I, she's the one that felt most at home in the movie, so of course she feels most at home in the house. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah. very well said. And yeah. the, the house is a character here. That's the one it other is. thing yeah. alongside the production design. It's the most interesting the character in the movie. It is really fascinating. And like yeah. I love that moment when yeah, Felix you know, takes us through the house and is introducing th- that everything. Is, that is something we didn't acknowledge. And it is a movie I thought about while watching Saltburn was The Shining. It, yes. It's, it, 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 yeah, a lot like, like that. Yeah. The, it, it has an almost overlook hotel quality to it there's a maze Uh, outside even well i mean that's really the thing that sealed the deal for me that was the straw that broke the camel's back that made me think oh the shining yeah Uh, but it got to a point where i wouldn't be surprised or i I wouldn't have been surprised rather if this turned into a ghost story all of a sudden Mm -hmm. Uh, because it has a very haunted quality to it yeah and i think spiritually that is what she's aiming for in a lot of ways there's no doubt about it i mean as i noted in my opening thoughts there's no subtlety to this movie none no whatsoever I somewhat admire that. <laughs> like I admire the oh, yeah. the brazen yeah. qualities there. Yeah. There's just there's more work you need to do to make that abrasiveness mean something. Yes. Right? And, and yeah, and and there's not enough here that made me care about that. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the execution. I don't care yep. that its themes live on the surface. I don't care that right. its references are obvious. Mm-hmm. Just make it you know, compelling in execution. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's where this fails for all the reasons we talked yeah. about. So. Yep. I'm with you, man. Uh, but yeah, the Saltburn house, loved it. Aesthetically. Interesting character. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. With that said, uh, be sure to tune in to the main show episode 562 this last weekend. We talked to Ridley Scott. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And well, we have more reviews coming out later this week. Poor Things, Napoleon. Uh, we'll be out this week, and of course, yep. getting into next week, there's going to be even more. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time on the In Session Film Podcast. Uh, Barry Gilgan. Fascinating Feel- actor, regardless. Feeling the burn with Barry. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.